I hope that you've had a great first week of Advent. I hope it's been, it's been a good week. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, you can find your, your, your place with me, with me there. Um, and listen, as always, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one right around you. Grab one of those. We invite you to use that one. Uh, follow along with us. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you that one. There should be one of those hardback black or blue ones right there. So, so take that one. You can take that with you. Um, and listen, while you're finding your place there in Isaiah, I, I did want to make one quick announcement. Um, prayer is so vital to, to us as the people of God, uh, to us as a church, prayer is vital. And uh, each month we have a prayer gathering. We don't usually announce things from the stage. This is one of those things that we do. Uh, we have a prayer gathering coming up. It's the first Tuesday of every month, which means it's this Tuesday. And I want to invite you to join us in this. If you've been in a prayer gathering and they've been weird in the past, it hasn't been ours because these are not, no, I'm joking. Um, I, I know, I know there comes with a lot of like baggage with prayer in groups of people. We can be honest about that. Uh, but listen, our gatherings that we, we come together, there's, there's none of that weirdness. We're, we're, it's not, you know, gossip hour or anything like that. We're coming together because we believe that our God is real. We believe that he is really present. We believe he cares. We believe he hears. And we believe that nothing can be accomplished apart from him. And so the, this, these gatherings are us just as the people of God coming together. And um, they are so rich, and uh, I have loved them. The last one was in my living room, and it was spectacular. So I want to invite you, if you've never been to one, I want to invite you to join us for, for our prayer gathering. Um, if you can't come in person, we also have ways that you can join online. Uh, and so all you need to do is go to stoneoakbible.com slash events. You'll see the prayer gathering there. You can register for it, and we'll make sure you have all the information you need to get plugged in. All right? There it was, my, my only announcement of the morning. Now, as we turn to Isaiah, as I mentioned, we're here and we're talking about peace this morning. And um, I, I got to be got to be honest, when we talk about hope and peace and joy and love like we are in these, these weeks of Advent, it can be really difficult to do this. Really difficult to do this because these words are often misused. Um, they're overused or they're underused. They're just misunderstood, these, these words that, that we throw around in this season of, of Advent. And, and I believe this is absolutely true when we think about the word peace. What may be floating through your mind when you hear the word peace might have very little to do with what the Bible describes, the biblical peace that the Bible describes. And so when we think about this, we, we, the world has, has this idea of peace, and I believe it's even provided us a little bit of a, of a counterfeit when it, comes to, when it comes to peace. And so my, my fear is when we hear that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When we hear that, our minds might go to a lot of 
different places. Maybe when you hear that, you, you think in terms of war. And when you think of peace, you think of ceasefire. Uh, you think of conflict being over, which if you've been through or in any kind of war, that is no small thing. Like, peace, no war is, is absolutely incredible. But even that is far too small when we think about the biblical idea of peace. Uh, maybe you're here, and let me see if this works, and you think of this. The one's laughing. You might have been thinking this. Uh, you think of that 60s, 70s piece, that hippie piece, you know, the hugs and hacky sacks and all that good stuff. Maybe you think of that. Maybe you are a parent, and, and you think of um, that moment when the kids go to sleep, and it's quiet, and no one needs you to live and to make them anything or to settle conflict or to do anything. You get to just sit, and it's called peace and quiet, right? Maybe that's what comes to your mind, but listen, all of that all of that, as awesome as that is, is too small when we think of the biblical idea of peace. Um, one of my favorite words in all of Scripture is actually the word for peace in the, New, in the Old Testament, which is this word, shalom. Shalom. Um, it's a huge idea. Huge idea. Now, if you, you were in Jerusalem, we would use this word as a hello, goodbye, like a greeting, shalom, shalom. Um, it is such a massive concept that is, that is tucked into this word. The word itself, this idea of shalom is huge. It's, it's wholeness, completeness. It is peace. It is welfare. It is it is perfection. It's not just a lack of wars, more hugs, and quiet after the kids go down. It's bigger than that. It's, it's, shalom is completeness and wholeness in every single way. One way to think about shalom, and this is the way that really resonated with me. Um, when you think about shalom, if you're wondering what is shalom, every time that you look in your, your world, you look in your community, you look around, even look in a mirror. Every time you do that and you look and you think, that shouldn't be like that. What you're seeing is a lack of shalom or broken shalom, an absence of shalom. Anytime you look and you see, it shouldn't be like this. You see sickness and cancer. You, you, you look and you see war, you see brokenness, you see relationships that you're like, what happened? There's strain and strife. You look and you see, this is 1604, you see car accidents. You see homelessness. You, you look and you see addiction or sin, depression. You see bankruptcy. You look around and you, every time you see 
a building that has been abandoned and it's crumbling and nasty. Shouldn't be like that. Anytime you look and you see a dead garden, it's not shalom. Anytime you look and you see a popped tire, anytime your printer doesn't work, every one of us knows that feeling. That's not shalom. That is not shalom. All of that, every time we look and we see things shouldn't be like that, what we're really seeing is an absence of shalom, an absence of peace, broken shalom. That's what we are seeing. So this idea of shalom, this biblical idea of peace, is it's huge. It's all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. And when we get that, when we start to see what we're talking about, when we, when we think of the biblical idea of shalom, when we get that and we look up from any puny version that we may have of peace, when we get what peace and shalom really is, I think then we're ready for our text today. Our text is a classic. It's Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. And of the increase of his government and of peace, that's Shalom again, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together as we get into this. God, we are finite, we are so limited in our understanding, and yet right now we're standing on the, brink, the banks of, of something huge. And, and we need you. We need you to open up our eyes so that we can see, so that we can see the beauty and the wonder of your shalom, and that we can understand the what your word has to say about peace. Jesus, you are the prince of peace. And this morning, we, as your people, we want to see you. Would you open our eyes? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I, um, we've said this several times, but, but Advent, again, is about looking back and looking forward. And so as we get to this, I, I want to start by looking back, and I want to actually start by putting ourselves in the shoes of the people of God who are waiting for the Messiah. I want to put us into their shoes, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you are a believer in Yahweh. I want you to imagine that you are a part of his people and, and that you're in this time looking back on all of the promises of God. 
You're looking back on what God did with Abraham and Moses. You're looking back at the way he has always guided and provided. You're looking back to all the kings and the prophets. You're looking back and you're sharing these stories around your dinner table. You're telling your kids these stories. You hear the scriptures being read and talked about in the temple. And here's the deal. You believe it. You believe it, and yet here in this moment, you are waiting, and it is absolutely silent. Silence. Just, I open my Bible, this page right here. It's the page between Malachi and Matthew. For me, it's blank, and it has New Testament written on one side of it. I want you to imagine you live on this page. Because this page represents 400 years silence of just excruciating silence. Do you know what's worse than silence? Silence when you're waiting for an answer. When you have all these promises that you need God to show up, that is agonizing. That is, sorry about that, that is agonizing. It's like all that build up and build up, and at the moment when you need to hear him the most, just silence. And in this season of waiting, I got, you got to understand here, things were not good. Things were not, they were in they were not as they should be. They were in exile. They, they were broken. They were landless. They were wandering. They were in turmoil. The, their future was uncertain, and there was oppression. Things were broken. In other words, there was no peace on that empty page. There was no peace. It was silent, it was dark, it was still, and, and it was in that moment of, of, of stillness when the Isaiah's prophecy that we just looked at would be fulfilled and the silence would be broken. When, when he says, unto us a child is, is born, and, and to us a son is given. See, the birth of Jesus just shatters the silence here. And the word becomes flesh. Jesus dwells with us. The long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah is here. And can you just imagine the joy of that moment? That joy of that moment when all, all the brokenness of life, right into the brokenness, Jesus steps in, and, and, and the, the, the silence is broken, and he says, the, the son is here, Isaiah says, and he calls him. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, we are waiting and ready for a little shalom, and here is the Prince of Shalom. The Prince of Shalom is here. But here is the thing. There's only this one thing, and that is that he is nothing like what they were expecting or hoping for. 
Nothing like, I mean, think about it. A child is born. How vulnerable is that? It's a child and, and born in an obscure town, in a stable, um, no royalty, no power, no prestige, nothing, um, no might. It was a manger with donkeys. How is this what, born to young parents who were, his earthly dad was a carpenter, not an emperor, not a, even a, like a really great general, nothing, no, not even a politician, a carpenter. And so as we read, the government is going to rest on his shoulder? In that moment, we're putting ourselves in their shoes. What are, what's going through your mind? What, how could this happen with this poor, nameless, out-of-nowhere, small-time, or small-town child? It seems as though, God, you may have missed this one. Like, it seems as though, God, the plan of yours to bring shalom has gotten off to a really rocky start. We read that this is the Prince of Peace. God, how is this child going to bring peace? And then if you want to make it worse, go into verse 7 of Isaiah that we just read. The increase of his government will be no end in peace and the throne of David over his kingdom. He's going to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Ah. And, and what, what is really hard about this is as you continue on in the Gospels, if you were to read about Jesus' life, he, he is nothing like what we were expecting. We, we read the, uh, the kingdom, we're waiting for the kingdom of God to come down and rule and reign. And here we see, we read about Jesus, this meek and lowly rabbi. And, and we see him ministering to broken people, no one's. We see him hanging around with no one that would bring him any kind of power or prestige. We see him not with the rich and the powerful, but calling the weirdest people to be his disciples. And we look at this and I, this sounds crazy. The Prince of Peace and he, this, and, and he, it gets worse because he's arrested I know I'm fast-forwarding, but for the sake of time. He's arrested, he's beaten, he's falsely accused, he's mocked. And, and he's crucified on a cross next, next to criminals. If we were to place ourselves in their shoes, it is so easy to understand why so many did not see And we think about this like, where's the shalom? Where's, this is dark. Like, this is broken. Prince of peace, this is broken. And it's easy to just see the opposite of shalom. And, and as we read in the Gospels, Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. But as Scripture says, and as many, many eyewitnesses see, 
He rose. Praise God. He rose. And so maybe, just maybe, this is the time. Maybe all of that that we thought was going to happen, maybe it's now. I mean, he just conquered death. Maybe now King Jesus, warrior Jesus, is going to bring the rain, bring the heat, and establish peace. Maybe it's now. This is why here in this moment before Jesus ascends into heaven, so he just rose before he ascends into heaven, we have this really honest conversation between him and his disciples. And as we put ourselves in their shoes, oh, this would have been my question too. Listen to what they ask. In Acts 1.6 says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they asking? They're asking, Lord, is it time for the government to rest on your shoulder? Is it time, going to our text, for the increase of your government and peace to have no end? Is it time, going back to our text, for you to sit on the throne of David over his kingdom, establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore? Is it time for Isaiah 9? That's what they were asking. Is it time? And do you remember what Jesus says? Here in this moment, here's what Jesus says. Acts 1, 7. He, Jesus, says to them, the disciples, with whom we should, have, we should be in their shoes, right? Here's what he says to them. It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and to the end of the earth. So take this in. Jesus is absolutely fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Honestly, he has fulfilled all of the prophecies made about the Messiah. He's fulfilled it all. He is the Prince of Peace, the perfect Prince of Peace. And yet, in the midst of this, we see this already but not yet thing that I want to bring out for a moment. Already but not yet. I want us to see something here. So they were looking for shalom, for wholeness, for God to show up, and for God to make everything right. That's what they were looking for. And here's the thing. He did, kind of. He did, he just did it from the inside out as opposed to the outside-in method. He did it from the inside out. They were waiting for peace out there, for Jesus to come and bring the world under his reign. They were waiting for that, for him to transform the world. And here Jesus says, shalom is coming. But right now in this moment, shalom is here. And it starts in here, in my people, with my people. Do you see that here? He, he says, you're, you're waiting, it's like you're waiting for a ruler, a politician, or a king to rule and reign in power and to change the world from the outside in. That's what you're waiting for, to fix all of those heathens out there. You're waiting for that, to restore the kingdom to Israel, to change the world. Yet God's plan in this moment was not an outside-in mission. It was an inside-out mission. Jesus tells them, leave the military campaigns to the Father, leave the timing to the Father, and, and for you, though, 
I am filling you with my spirit. I am sending my spirit to dwell in you. I am sending shalom into you. I'm sending shalom into your hearts, and I'm starting from the inside of my people. And then I am sending you out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm sending you out. I'm, I'm bringing my spirit into you, my shalom into you, and I'm sending you out to be shalom bearers. To bring shalom to the world. We, the people of God, we're looking for, we're craving peace and shalom. We're, we're craving for it. We're crying out for it. And here in this moment, through the work of Jesus Christ, all the brokenness in here, the brokenness of our hearts, all of it was made whole. We are made citizens of heaven. Shalom dwells in our hearts. And that means no matter what we face, and I want to bring this to bear on our lives right now. No matter what you face right now, no matter what you are going through right now, shalom is here. And it's not circumstantial. Shalom is here. My spirit, Jesus says, dwells in you. Prince of peace, prince of shalom, rules and reigns in us. And I want to look just a little closer in our verse. Verse 6, I want to look about what Isaiah says about our king that rules and reigns in you right now. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful meaning miraculous, meaning supernatural. Counselor. Your king is supernaturally full of wisdom. All wisdom. All wisdom extraordinary wisdom, perfect and wonderful wisdom. So as we look at this, your king is supernaturally wise, and that king, your king, dwells in you right now, today. His name shall be called Mighty God. This reveals the deity of Jesus, that he is God and the might and the strength and the power of King Jesus, that your king is not limited by anything. Nothing. Not limited by anything. He is able, he is mighty, he is God. So your king is supernaturally wise, mighty, and he is God. And he reigns and rules right now in you as a child of God. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. Now, as we read this one, we might go, wait a second, we're talking about Jesus. We read this, we're talking about Jesus, and here it's the Father. We just had a seminar on the Trinity, and we know that the Father and Son and Spirit are distinct. We know that, we we know that. So what is this here? Hear me out first, okay? Hear me out. This title is not specifically referencing the Father of the Godhead. I told you, hold your fire and hear me out first, okay? (laughs) Hear me out. This title is not specifically referencing the Father of the Godhead, although he certainly is our Father, okay? This title is not referencing 
the, the, the father of the Godhead. Here in this text, in this title, um, this title's being used differently in this passage. And, and here's the thing. This title is being used for Jesus. Being used for Jesus. Being used for King Jesus, the Son. Now, is Isaiah getting confused about the Trinity? No. No. No, no, absolutely not. The, fa- the term father here is pointing to the kingliness of Jesus. The term father here is pointing to the power and authority, but even more than that, the care and compassion of King Jesus. That is what this is pointing to. In fact, if, as you look at the way this term father is used in the Old Testament, it's used in a couple interesting ways. One of the ways is um, to identify the one who protects the orphan. We see that in Psalm 68, 6. Or one who protects the poor. We see that in Job 29, 16. Or one who protects the vulnerable in general, the people. We see that in Isaiah 22, 21. Church, I believe that is exactly the way this title is being used here to describe, to name King Jesus. The one who protects the vulnerable. Don't you dare say I'm denying the Trinity, okay? Don't you do it. What I, what I am saying is that this title is being applied to King Jesus because King Jesus is the perfect protector of the vulnerable. The perfect protector of those who cannot protect themselves. The the perfect protector of the poor, the widow, the orphan. It reminds me of of Jesus' words in John 14. In John 14, verse 18, Jesus expresses this heart as he says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus, King Jesus, who cares for you his people, the children of God. And it's even better than that because it's not just father, it's everlasting. What does that mean? It means, listen, every kingdom, every earthly kingdom, every every nation, empire, they come and they go. Here's the deal. The word everlasting cannot be applied to any human kingdom. Not one. But here, our king is everlasting. Our king is eternal. That means that his care and his protection for the vulnerable is also eternal, ongoing, never-ending, never-failing, never-running-out. Everlasting father. Eternal king. So this is our king. We got our king is supernaturally wise. Mighty and powerful, compassionate, everlasting God. And again, that is our king who is reigning in us right now, right here today. Shalom is here. One more though, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. This title shows us that our king will not allow for oppression and nor will he oppress. 
how many powerful kings and rulers and emperors and generals and mighty, mighty dudes with a lot of angry dudes behind them have come, conquered? How many kingdoms have been established? How many, how many governments have been established? And yet oppression remains. Historically, peace is absolutely elusive to us. We just cannot seem to reach it, get it, and we certainly can't maintain it. And in fact, if you look in history books, our history is just full, full of oppressors and oppression. It's been our story. And yet, under our King Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. And he, we, in him, we will know peace, we will know security, we will know wholeness, we will know shalom. Because our King does not oppress, and he does not sit back and allow oppression to happen. He is the prince of shalom. Take it in. Our king is supernaturally wise, mighty, and compassionate. Our king is the everlasting God of shalom, and he reigns in you. Right now, through whatever you are facing today, shalom is here. Shalom is Here, in Christ, we can walk with the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's here. And I got to tell you, this is not a cop-out. One more thing I'll say about this. I'm not saying this is some cop-out where God's people are just saying, no, no, everything is fine. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that as God's people, this is real, that the real spirit of God indwells us. Shalom is here. The prince of shalom indwells us. We have shalom. We experience that peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of everything we face. That's real. That is real shalom. Christ in us, shalom is here. Shalom is already and not yet. So now, let's talk about the not yet part. To do that, I want to fast forward. The church scatters out from Acts 1. The gospel scatters out. And we are really imperfect people. We always have been. Nevertheless, we scatter. And the gospel scatters. We are saved and sent out as shalom bearers. The good news spreads from people to people, nation to nation, continent to continent. It spreads. The gospel spreads spreads, shalom spreads, and through all of this, the people of God look to, look to Jesus and all of his promises that he's coming again. We look to this, we, we, we stand on it, and in this moment, we look up, it's spreading, we look up, and then what happens? Years and years and years come and they go. Through the years, we've had several people who have said Jesus is coming back at this time and at this date and at this place. They've all been wrong. 100%. Every one of them. Don't trust anyone who tells you they know when he's coming. Jesus told you they don't. We've been wrong every time. And yet here we are Waiting. 
waiting for perfect peace and shalom, waiting for the Prince of Shalom to show up again, come again. Over 2,000 years ago, in Isaiah's words, a child was born, a son was given. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent an inside-out mission to the world. He came, he conquered, sent his spirit into us to be a shalom bearers, to bring the shalom of Jesus, to bring Jesus into the darkness. That's what he did. Praise God for that. Here's the reality, though. Today, we can look around our world, and I don't know about you, but I say this a lot. That shouldn't be like that. This shouldn't be like this. Whether it be sickness, I hate cancer. COVID-19 shouldn't be like this. War, hostility, violence, brokenness, Facebook, leave it there, Facebook, shouldn't be like this. Relationships that are broken, I still see crying. I still see pain. I still have to watch my son go in for oral surgery. I hated that. I still see car accidents out there. And I still see homelessness. And I still see all those broken down buildings and dead gardens. And yet my printer still doesn't work, right? I still see this. God, where is your shalom? God, where is the government that's going to rest on your shoulders? God, where is the prince of peace who is going to bring everyone under his kingly reign of shalom? When when will you establish and uphold justice? Because the truth of Scripture tells us, promises us shalom. It promises us the inside shalom that we just got through talking about, but it also promises outside shalom. It promises us this all-encompassing shalom when Jesus reigns, not only in my heart, but over all things. It promises us that. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess, it promises us that. I want you to think about something. In your Bibles, if you were to open your Bible to the first page, right at the beginning, our Bibles start, our story starts off in shalom. Starts off in the beauty of a garden. When all things were created and all things were good, when all things were as they should be. Shalom. It lasts for two chapters. Shalom. Perfect shalom. And then as we fast forward to the very end of our Bibles, you know, the last two chapters, wouldn't you know it? We end in shalom. We see the perfection of a city, the beautiful wholeness, everything is as it should be. We see no more tears, we see no more pain, we see no more struggle and strife and sickness. All things 
are as they should be. We start in shalom, we end in shalom, and yet you and I here today are living in the space between. We're living in the space between, calling out God, when will you bring the perfect shalom that we can know in our hearts, when will you bring that to bear on our community, on my family, on my neighborhood? This is what Advent is all about. Advent is about the space in between. The space in between. We started off by looking back to the arrival of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But Advent also calls us to look forward. To look forward, to look ahead to that moment, that second arrival of Jesus, when Jesus will come again, and when the already but not yet will become already and now and forever. Listen, I get the great joy this morning, and actually every week of this season, to preach really good news. Really, really good news. That the brokenness that you and I experience today, the brokenness that you're experiencing right now, all of it, the brokenness you see in your own heart and the brokenness you see in the world around you, all of it, all of the injustice, all of the pain and sickness, all of the things that shouldn't be this way, all of it one day is going to give way to perfect shalom. Perfect peace. One day. Jesus is coming again in the He is the King, and one day all that pain will give way. One day we are going to experience Revelation 21. When John sees this vision from God and he says, I see a new heaven coming, a new earth coming. The old one is gone. It's passed away. In other words, all that brokenness, the dead gardens and the broken printers and the car accidents and the cancer and all of that was, is gone. It's, it's, it's gone. It's no more. No more broken down things. All gone. And then he says in verse 2, I saw holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. He goes on to say, I heard a loud voice calling out, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, shalom begins and ends with God himself. There is no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. And here in this vision, John says, This is coming, we will dwell with him, and him with us. Prince of Shalom. And then listen to what our Prince of Peace, our King Jesus, is about to do. Verse 4, he, Jesus, our Prince of Peace, our King, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. 
or any of the other things we've talked about this morning. For the former things have passed away. Say that again. The former things have passed away. Shalom and peace. Church, today we can know the inside-out peace, the shalom in here, being shalom bearers to those out there. We can know that today. At the same time, though, today, we stand together in the hope, in the hope that Christ is coming again and that we will experience perfect shalom, not only in here, but out there. That we will experience the reality of our text today in verse 7 that says, the increase of his government and peace will have no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. What a beautiful picture of peace, the peace we have in Jesus. As we um, end our time this morning, as we stand here in the season of Advent and expectation for Christ, as we stand in that space between this morning, um, as we experience the peace of Jesus in our hearts, but as we look out there and things are not as they should be, as we are longing for him to reign over all creation. Listen, if there is any doubt, any fear, or any anxiety in us in the waiting, I want to read the last line of our text over us this morning. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of God uh, of hosts will do this. God's word tells us clearly, I will do this. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, King Jesus will do this. Shalom, peace is coming. I read this in my study this week, and I want to end with this. And... Um, Listen, here in this waiting, as we look to Jesus to fulfill his promise and to do all that he said he was going, he's, he's going to do, I want you to listen to this. Would you mind putting up that quote on the screen? Thank you. Simply stated, God himself will do it. With unassailable zeal, determination, and passion, God will concentrate his efforts to accomplish this marvelous deed. Isaiah's listeners can be absolutely sure that an omnipotent, sovereign God will stand behind the fulfillment of this wonderful plan. 